0: Come on, would you put your hands together? <clears throat> as, as an individual and also as a church that champions and believes in unity and diversity, uh, it's important for us to take a moment and just acknowledge and celebrate Dr. King. Obviously, tomorrow is, is the official holiday that celebrates him, but we won't be together tomorrow. Uh, so we'd just like to take a second, and bring attention to his dream, bring attention to his mission and the fact that it's still moving forward today. Amen. So let's put our hands together one more time just for that message, what he stood for, champion those that are still standing for it today. Uh, My name is Troy. My wife, Darla, and I get the absolute privilege to pastor this church. And if you are visiting with us today, as Brian said and as my wife said on the video, do us a favor and reach out and connect. You can do that with the card in front of you or at the Welcome Center. We just love to connect with you, get to add a name to a face, do our best to move you, like we say, from your seat to your feet. Uh, let you be able to, you know, find your family. I believe that the best thing about church is fellowship. Uh, The best thing about it is relationship. While I do love to gather on Sunday and love to preach the word and experience worship like that, uh, I think it's what we do beyond a Sunday morning experience together as a family that really changes us. And so if you've been coming to church for a while and you haven't been connected or you're new today, do us a favor and fill out that card. Uh, We have a team that'll be reaching out to you this week to just do our best to move you forward. Amen. Um, I always like to take a second and share what's happening with your finances, those that support the church financially through tithes and offerings. I like to take a moment and always kind of say, hey, here's what's happening. You get to see every Sunday what's happening inside the four walls. We celebrated last Sunday all of the hard work that had been done to the brand new stage and the brand brand new Dream Team Care Room, the brand new Welcome Center desk, and all of the changes to kind of uh, upgrade uh, what's happening here on Sunday morning, because we do believe that this is the best opportunity for people to come and know Christ and grow in their relationship with Jesus. But there's also things happening outside of the four walls. And there's so much. If you're new, when you walk out the auditorium to your right, there's a wall with all of our different outreach partners that we uh, partner with throughout the year. But here's what we're doing in January that I want to celebrate with you and tell you how you can get involved. Uh, Our global partner, Convoy of Hope, That is our ministry that we partner with for disaster relief. So when things happen, we've had stuff happen in Tennessee. We've had stuff happen in Kentucky, Florida, all over the world that Convoy of Hope has showed up at and provide water and food and resources. And we partner with them financially so that when something happens, and a lot of times we want want to help, but we can't physically be there and we don't know what to do. Uh, We do that through our support partner, Convoy of Hope. And one of the things that we do with them is we provide water filters to third world countries. And so for $25, there's a water filter that gets sent out to a different third world country. I'm going to give more information on it over the next couple of days. But it provides one filter. You ready for this? Provides 100,000 gallons of clean water. Is that not insane? And it, for a lot of us, clean water is normal. And look, you probably don't care about water unless you were here for the past three weeks. Yes. And we didn't have water and water was everything. Can I get an amen? Uh, and so, you know, it's, it's for people who don't have it. It's really important. We have an example of that filter out in the lobby. You can go look at it and check it out and see how it works. Um, and the church, because here's what I love to do as your pastor as because of your financial faithfulness already, we are going to provide, I can't do the math right now. Uh, what's 10 times four, Forty There's a lot of pressure on me right now. All right, back up off me. Uh, 40 filters right off the bat. So that's, I think that's, y'all do that math later of whatever 100,000 times 40 is like 4 million maybe. Is that right? Uh, 4 million gallons of clean water that we can provide already because of your faithfulness. But if you say, hey, I want to provide 41 or 42 or 43, you can do that. And one of the ways, one of the reasons why I bring it up during this month is because if fasting food, um, if you're fasting Starbucks, if you're fasting something like that, that's putting money back in your pocket, I challenge you to take $25 of that and give it towards one of these water filters so that we can continue to provide even more uh, gallons of clean water. Amen? Amen. Again, thank you so much for the faithfulness of what you do already, the giving you do already, because we can do that. But I always like to give you an opportunity if you want to give more, and it's exciting to be a part of. Uh, One last thing before we get into the word. I want to challenge you this year to invite people back to church. Uh, If you look around the room, the room is packed. Uh, I'm I'm excited about it. We have a vision this year to move to two services, back to our two-service model. Um, And we're excited about that because we want to continue to make major impact in the Antioch area. And we're in a series about rebuilding. And 2020 was crazy. 2021 was even crazier, I guess, kind of as you're coming out of it and kind of coming back to a sense of normal. 2022, you started to kind of see a sense of normal. And 2023, I believe, is that year for rebuilding. And there are a lot of people in your life that need Jesus. There's a lot of people in your life that just need a good church. And I'm talking to friends. I was with Scout Saturday. We were working out, and he was talking about all these opportunities he's had to counsel people. Darla and I were talking about all these opportunities recently we've had to counsel people. There are people all around you that are looking for hope. And I don't know if you know this. You are the beacon of hope. And so this year, make it a point to invite people to church. We have invitation cards you can take, or it can simply be like, hey, come with me. So I want to challenge you. I'm going to be talking about it every Sunday, if I can remember, to just kind of put that challenge in you to walk out of here. And on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, ask yourself, who can I bring with me to church this Sunday so they can experience Jesus? Amen? Amen. All right. I'm going to see if you guys answer that call as the the year continues to go on, because I believe that we got something special here, and I believe we need to share it. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah is in the Old Testament, so the Old Testament is kind of the first half of your Bible. New Testament is your second half. Uh, The book of Nehemiah chapter 2, it will be on the screen if you don't have your Bibles, or of course you can look on your phone. We do have an app that also has the scriptures and the notes as you follow along. So there's multiple ways that you can follow along, and I would encourage you to do so so that you can see where we're coming at biblically and you can take some of these notes home because this is definitely going to be a service that you're going to be talking about in the car on the way home and you'll see why when we get there. Nehemiah chapter 2, as I said, it's a series uh, called Rebuilding around the concept this year that we believe God is going to rebuild some things and to remind you that it's not to rebuild back to what it was, it's to rebuild it back to what it was always supposed to be. Okay? So it's not, oh, I want to rebuild my marriage to what it was. No, it's rebuilding it to what God uh, said it was supposed to be. It's not rebuilding our lives to back what it was. It's rebuilding it to what God said it was supposed to be. So here we go. Nehemiah chapter 2. I've got to get this out of my throat real quick. Uh, verse 1, and we'll get to verse 6, and we'll go from there. In the month of Nisan, or Nisan if you're from Smyrna, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine. This is Nehemiah talking. I took the wine and I gave it to the king. That'll be important a little bit later. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. Nehemiah said, I was very much afraid. Now this is important for you to understand. Uh, If you were sad in the presence of the king in this day, often it meant you would be executed. The reason for that is because the king believed that he was such an awesome person that he actually brought joy to anybody who was around him. So if you were sad in his presence, often he would just cut off your head. So, you know, that's how kings rolled back then. Uh, So Nehemiah said, I was very much afraid for him to see that I was sad because I thought this might be the end for me. But instead of kind of saying, no, I'm not sad, he said this to the king. First of all, he said, may the king live forever. <laughs> you know, just kind of remind her, you're the awesome king, before I say what I'm about to say. But why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire? So then the king said to me, well, what is it that you want? If you're sad about your city, what, what is it that you want? Nehemiah says, then I prayed to the God of heaven, so I prayed first, and then I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried, so that I can what? Rebuild Rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, well, how long is your journey going to take, and when are you going to get back? This is important because you matter to me. Nehemiah says, it pleased the king to send me. I asked him and it pleased him to send me. So I set a time and he got ready to go. I want to talk to you this morning from this idea, rebuilding boundaries, rebuilding boundaries. When, uh, thanks, man. When, when we first moved here from, from Memphis, moved here to plant this church. Thank you, I'll let you take that back. Um, everywhere I went, I locked my car. So like, for example, we'd go to the grocery store and I'd get out of the car and I'd lock my car. All right. We go to, you know, we go out to eat, to go to dinner and I'd lock my car. I would go to the post office and I would lock my car. And people that I was with who were from here always thought that was weird. I would lock my car and they'd be like, what are you doing locking your car? And I'm like, what do you mean? What am I doing locking my car? I like my car. I don't want my car to be stolen. So I lock my car. And they're like, oh, we don't lock our cars here. And I'm like, what? And what I had to make them understand was that I was from Memphis, okay? And in Memphis, if you don't lock up the things that you love, you lose them. People take them. Matter of fact, even if you lock them up, I can't tell you, ask me to coffee, I'll tell you how many times I came out to my car and had a broken window and everything was gone out of my car, all right? It was often it was just normal for me I understood because of how I was raised and where I was raised that if I loved something I should protect it That if I didn't want somebody to take something from me and I valued it I should do something to protect it Here's the underlining statement That's going to set the tone of where we're going today that if you get this, I think you'll want this message Anything that we find valuable is vulnerable Anything that you find valuable, your marriage, it's valuable. Your kids are valuable. Your career, your finances, your heart, your mind, your ministry, it's valuable. And if it's valuable, it's vulnerable. Yet, you and I live in a world that is encouraging the deconstruction of any boundary, at the same time celebrating the absence of perimeters. Let me say it again. We live in a society that's encouraging the deconstruction of boundaries all while celebrating the absence of perimeters. Let me give you some examples. Think what you want to think. Feel how you want to feel. Do what you want to do. Or or as some of us know it, do you, boo. (laughs) It's gotten so bad in our culture today. Watch this. We're being told to let our kids think like they want to think. Let your kids feel and do what they want to feel and do. We are literally in a culture today that is not only removing boundaries, but they are celebrating the idea that they don't exist. Yet God's word teaches us to protect that which matters to us, meaning that our relationships must have boundaries, our family, it must have boundaries, our finances, have to have boundaries our mind must have boundaries our heart our spirit our body what we take in what we consume everything needs healthy boundaries in the book of nehemiah chapter 2 what is happening on the heart of nehemiah is he wants to return to jerusalem and rebuild the walls here's why that's important the people could move back. The first thing they rebuilt in Jerusalem was the church. And I appreciate that because I believe it's important. That's why I'm telling you, it's a time to invite people. I believe the church is important. But the second thing that needed to be rebuilt was the walls because the walls provided protection. Let me say it like this. For people to move back to Jerusalem without walls would be like you to build a home without doors. So you're, at home and your protected roof and all, but at any point, anybody could walk right into your home and take whatever you have. Now, if you're from here, that might be a foreign concept to you. Come hang out in Memphis for a couple of weeks and it'll be very clear what that means. Okay? So to, to live in Jerusalem without walls, there was no protection, there was no peace. They they literally could have created a home and had dinner with their family, but every second they would have been worried about somebody trying to come in and steal what they have. So they say, no, thank you. We don't want to move back there until the walls have been rebuilt so there are boundaries and protection so that something is there to give us peace while we are embracing the promise of God. They could move back and get the promise, but the promise wasn't protected. I almost went a whole other direction with the sermon because I had this thought. Some of us think God hasn't given us his promise. But what if he gave us his promise, but we didn't have the process in place to protect it? What if we got the promise of God, but we lost it because it wasn't protected? And I think that will still find its way in this message. But here's what I want you to understand. Many sincere, dedicated believers today struggle with what it looks like to have appropriate limits. We struggle. We 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 don't know. We're trying to kind of navigate culture. We have to be relevant, especially if we're gonna share the gospel, especially if we're gonna, you know, exist and, and operate in life. We have jobs, we have marriages, we have responsibilities, we have friends, we, we need to watch TV, we need entertainment. We all I'm I'm not one of those people that tells you, you know, don't watch TV, don't listen to music like, you know, life is life but we're also trying to raise kids and we're trying to have a healthy marriage. We're doing all these things. And most sincere believers, they want limits, but they have no idea what the appropriate limit is. What kind of limit do I put around my kids? What kind of limits do I put around my marriage? What kind of limits do I put around my finances? Like, I want to do this, but I don't know how to do it. And meanwhile, we're being attacked with the culture that's saying, don't worry about it. Do whatever makes you feel good. Let them do whatever makes them feel good. And the problem with that is when you set up no boundaries, no limits, no walls, no protection, then anybody and anything can come in and take away that which is precious to you. And so biblical boundaries actually help us achieve the purposes and achieve and keep the promises that God intends for us as his children. And it's natural, especially after coming through 2020, it's natural that we have allowed some boundaries to fall off and some walls to be torn down. And I think this is a great opportunity for us this year to rebuild those boundaries. Last Sunday, we talked about how the very foundation thing you have to start with to do this is to rebuild your view of God. You can't do this right if you have the wrong view of God. But if you have the right view of God and you understand grace and mercy and love and you understand that he's with you and even when you fail, he picks you back up and we keep on going together when we understand the right view of God, then we can kind of look to the side and say, okay, now what are the right boundaries for me? What, are, what, what can I do? I understand what God's doing in this rebuild, but what is my responsibility in this rebuild? And here's how we start. First thing we have to start is with this. We have to start examining our walls. We have to step back and examine our walls. Let me show you Nehemiah chapter 2. I don't just make these things up. I let the Bible direct where we're going. So watch this. It says, Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 11, I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. So Nehemiah has already been allowed to go rebuild the walls and he shows up to visit to see what kind of damage has been done. He said, I've not told anyone uh, what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem because if I tell people too soon, they'll try to stop me. And there were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on, talking about his horse. And but by, by night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, watch this, examining the walls of Jerusalem. He went out there to examine. That word examine, when it was translated from its original context, the word it was translated from was a medical term, watch this, that meant to probe a wound. It meant to examine a wound and to see what the excess uh, of the damage was. So when it says that Nehemiah went to examine the walls, here's what he was doing. He was going to see, you ready? Just how bad is it? Before I can rebuild it, I have to know what kind of damage has been done. Before we can start the process of putting boundaries up and getting it back to where God wants it to be, we got to be able to figure out how much damage has been done. And the same thing for you and I. Anything we want to rebuild, our marriages, our children, our finances, our career, the calling God has on our life, our spiritual life, anything we want to rebuild, it starts with our honesty of just how bad it is. If we continue to deny it, we can't fully rebuild it. But the moment we can have honest conversations with our spouses, honest conversations with our kids, honest conversations with ourselves, and we can uh, admit just how bad things have gotten, once we get there, then we can actually start being realistic about the concept of rebuilding. Now, let me prep you for this. Society will never warn you of weak walls. Society is never, ever going to bring it to your attention that something you have set up as a boundary is starting to get weak. In fact, society will never even encourage you to set up healthy boundaries. Facebook is never going to tell you, you know what, you should probably get off of this for a little bit. You know, Instagram's never going to send you a message and go, I don't know. I th- I, from from the ping I get from the GPS in this phone and Steve Jobs from the grave is telling me that you're sitting at your kitchen table and your kids are there, maybe you should put your phone down and talk to your kids. Instagram will never do that. The, the brand new Netflix show is never going to come up and go, hey, real quick, you said you were going to get up and pray in the morning. It's 1 o'clock in the morning. Maybe you should go to bed. <laughs> the only thing Netflix will say is, are you still watching this? <laughs> I know it's four o'clock in the morning, but is it possible you're still awake watching this? Here's what I've actually learned is that instead of doing that, culture will actually bait us to the edge and then shame us when we fall off. Let me tell you what I mean. Culture will say, get on Instagram and follow other people's lives and, and engulf yourself with their highlight reel, be, be obsessed with all of the great things that they have going on in their life, but they're not mentioning to you that their cat threw up in the living room, they can't pay their bills. You know, it's all the highlight. Just take all that in and watch this. And when it's all said and done and you feel insignificant and you feel insuperior, we'll make you feel bad about that. I got one for you. Watch this show that has all this sexual content. All of this nudity and all of these extramarital affairs, and then when you start to lose intimacy in your bedroom and you start to have urge for those kinds of affairs, will make you feel bad about it. You know what I mean? Like society will actually bait us to the edge. You need this. Take this. You want this. And then we'll get there. And when we get there, because we've been baited, and naturally we will fall off. Now all of a sudden we're the bad person. Oh, I can't believe you would do that. By the way, have you seen Game of Thrones season seven? Yeah, I don't don't know how many seasons there are. Here's what I'm trying to say. No one ever plans to wreck their marriage. No one ever plans to split up their family. No one ever plans to destroy their career. No one ever plans to lose their finances. No one ever plans to become insecure. No one ever plans to do these things, but the problem is most people don't plan not to. So it's not that we plan to. You're, 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 you're very rarely going to meet somebody. I officiate a lot of weddings. Uh, very, I don't know that I've ever done a wedding, and they say, I do, and they say, I do, and then the husband-to-be turned and looked at me and said, in about three months, I plan on having an affair. Because nobody plans to. We just don't plan not to. And so we find ourselves in places where culture's pulling us in, and we don't know. We just assume because everybody's saying do it, and it's just the nature of life. And we find ourselves in it not realizing just how powerful it is to us. And it chips away and chips away and chips away and chips away until those walls are weak and burnt down to the ground. And then we fail, and then the same society that baited us in steps back and goes, I can't believe you did that. I, I was watching TV, or it was actually the, one of the football games yesterday. I was watching one, and this, this gambling commercial came on. And the whole first part of the commercial was about gambling. Go to this gamble, to that gamble. It was just going, gamble, 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 gamble. And at the very end, real quick, it was like, if you suffer from gambling addiction, you can call this number. I was like, wait one second. You just spent like three and a half minutes telling me to gamble. And then you say, if this ruins your life, real quick, call this 1-800 number. And that's what I mean, Right? That's what we're getting in our marriages, in our homes. It's like, hey, take this, take this, take this, do this, do this, do this, do this. Oh, by the way, if it ruins your life, we're sorry. (laughs) Y'all it's getting heavy in here. Y'all like, wait a minute. Go back to grace, sir. (laughs) I will. Hang tight. But you need to hear this. You need to hear this. Nehemiah's job was a cupbearer. He said it. If you, if, you, if you read through Nehemiah chapter one after last week, at the very end of Nehemiah chapter one, he says, and I was a cupbearer to the king. In Nehemiah chapter two, he read it, but you, you probably looked right over it. He mentions that he got wine for the king and she's letting you know he's a cupbearer. In that day, it was so common for people to try to assassinate the king. Uh, and one of the most common ways to assassinate a king was to poison his drink. So he actually had a paid position of a person whose job was to drink his drink before he drank it. And if that person died, he didn't drink that drink. <laughs> job applications, anybody? <laughs> you thought your job was bad, right? Like, hey, man, do me a favor. Try this real quick. Taste this Pepsi. Well, what is it? I just need to know if it's poison. Well, what happens if it's poison? You die. Well, then what? Well, then I get another cupbearer. You know what I mean? So I'm the king. You're just a little cupbearer. But it blew my mind. I'm like, this guy's literal job in life was to be a human wall. Think about that. Think about the relationship the king had to have with this cupbearer. One of the studies I did said it was the most intimate relationship a king had with anybody past his wife. Said that the trust was so strong. Because imagine, that person could fake drink it, you know what I mean? Like a Mission Impossible Tom Cruise movie or something. Like fake drink it, but oh, that's good, king, you should have that. And next thing you know, Dead. There's just trust, and he is, he's a human wall between the king and harm. Nehemiah's life, he is, a, he is literally a picture of a boundary, a picture of a wall of you and what's trying to harm you. I believe you can find Jesus in every book of the Bible. People tend to think he's only in the New Testament. I think he's from Genesis all the way to Revelation. I think you can find him in every minute. I think Nehemiah was a picture of Jesus. Because Nehemiah said, I'll get between what you and what's trying to harm you. And if you'll trust me, I won't stop you from experiencing great things. I'll make it even better. Because every time you sip of that drink, you won't be worried if it's going to kill you. If you let me be that, I can be the filter between what's trying to kill you and the promises that God's made you. If we don't have a plan, if we don't have perimeters, if we don't build walls, then our relationship, our family, our finances, our spiritual life, everything is subject to persuasion by culture, by other people, and by how we feel in that moment. One morning, I got up to go to work, and I walked out of our house. It was pretty early in the morning on my family. I think it was in the summertime, so my family was still asleep. And when you walk out of my front door, there's like my car in the, in the driveway, and here is our garage door. And I walked out, and I just happened to look over, because something, you know, something in my peripheral didn't, didn't feel right. And so I looked over, and our garage was standing wide open. It was like seven o'clock in the morning or something like that. And our garage is wide open. And we don't ever lock the door from the garage to the house, you know, because normally the garage door's out. And I remember I looked at it and like instantly my heart stopped because I was like, "Darn!" and I were asleep all night and anybody could have just walked up in our house, sat on our couch, <laughs> watched our TV, ate our food, you know, stood over us like some, you know, scream serial killer and just looked like, like this. It just freaked me out. And so later on that evening when I came home, I was like, baby, I can't believe this. We went to bed and we left our garage open. You know, she's like, oh, my goodness, you know, that's terrible. And I was like, I know, you should be way more concerned about this. than." You know. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, it was like, well, you know, it was just a one-time thing. Because what happens is our kids go outside to play through the garage. So they don't go to the front door. So when I go to bed, the front door is locked and closed. And I'm like, we're good to go. A couple days later, I go outside to go to work. I look over, garage door's open again. Like, we're going to die few days ago, I mean, this happened, y'all, and it's how bad it got. One night at about 1045, darling and I are in our little kitchen area getting ready for bed, and there's a knock on our door. Yeah, I'm like, who's here this late? So I go open the door, this little young adult girl standing there, and I go, can I help you? And she goes, I just want to let you know your garage was open. It's so bad, y'all, that neighbors are like, I think you should let them know. Like, they're going to die. You should let them know. So it was getting so bad that I told Darla, I said, here's my plan. I set an alarm on my phone. So about 1045 at night, this alarm goes off. Ding, 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 ding. And if you look at my phone, it just says, close the garage. <laughs> and it's so funny because I'll be with friends. This is how bad it is. I'll be with friends and the alarm will go off and all my friends will go, close the garage. <laughs> we were on vacation and the alarm was going off. And Darla said, Do you just turn the alarm off? I said, No. I refuse to turn the alarm off, because if I turn it off here, three days from now when we're back home, I'm going to forget to turn it back on, and I'm going to come out of our house, and our garage is going to be open, and we're going to die. die. Thank you. (laughs) You're on point with me. And I know it's weird. People are always like, you're so weird. I'm like, I might be weird, but I'm protected. You know what I mean? Like, I, I understand. Some of y'all are like, that's extreme. Like, how, what do you have going on in your life that you can't remember to close the garage? I'm pastoring you. That's what I got going on. Twitching over here. <laughs> Look, in our culture, people who choose to build protective walls, they aren't celebrated. They're actually called weird. If, if at any point you expect culture to be excited that you are protecting that which matters to you, don't hold your breath. Because not only will they not be excited for you, they literally will say, what's wrong with you? How many times have you been told this? You don't watch that? No, I don't watch it. Why? Everybody watches that. Well, you know, I struggle. I'm a man. And I don't really think I should see all that nudity because it doesn't help my spiritual life. So that's why. Oh, man. It's not that much nudity. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, I mean, that's what I'm talking. Like, that's the You don't listen to that? No. Why don't you listen to that? Well, I just, you know, it's good for you. I'm not mad about it. It's just, it's just not good for me. Like, I just, I, I don't, I know me, and I don't need to be listening to that because I know me, right? <laughs> At one point, Billy Graham established a rule in his life that it ended up being called the Billy Graham rule. And the Billy Graham rule was that he would never be caught alone with another woman that wasn't his wife. That no matter what, not a meeting, nothing. He would never be in a room alone with a woman that wasn't his wife. He was so passionate about it. Watch this. That he, if he was on an elevator, this was a literal rule for him and the people that his security. If he was on an elevator and the elevator door opened by himself and the elevator door opened up and a woman got on the elevator, Billy Graham would then get off the elevator. And let the woman go where she's going, and he would wait for the elevator to come back up and get him. Isn't that crazy? Like, like, like. For some of us, we're like, oh, "Come on, man, that's that's a little extreme." And is there anything wrong with being on the elevator with a woman? No, no. I mean, there's nothing. Happens all the time. Like, I, but, but for him, he just understood. For him, that's what he needed to put in place to protect him, because he valued. And here's what we got to get. He valued uh, uh, his relationship and his marriage, but he knew his weaknesses. And this is what protection's all about. I value my marriage, but can I be honest with you? I know me. I've been with me for 38 years. And I am stupid. You know what I mean? I know this rule, Billy Graham rule, Mike Pence. Uh, I think he was Vice President to Donald Trump. He ended up ad- adopting that same rule and was getting chastised about it in in public. They wrote a whole article about how it was disrespectful to women that 's mind blowing to me if anything, it would be respectful to women but 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 disrespectful i 'm going this man is inconveniencing himself how easy would it have been for him to be like from Floor eight to floor six is going to take 13 seconds. Nothing can happen in 13 seconds, right? But he understood the importance of building boundaries and walls, so he got off the elevator. Listen, some of you, it's like, you know what? That's not wrong. But here's what we got got to get. Just because it isn't wrong doesn't mean it's wise. Just because it is, I, I, Donna and I, we, we have all each other's passwords to everything. At any, we have a rule in our marriage. At any point, you can grab my phone. Because if you grab my phone and I get weird about it, something's not right. Yeah. And we've talked to people before and go, that's weird. And, you know, it, it's not wrong for you to have your own Facebook. It's not wrong for you to be able to have, I get it. It's not wrong. But is it wise? It, it may not be wrong for you to watch that or do that. Maybe it's not wrong. Maybe it's not even biblically wrong. But is it wise? Like like when you start to look at the things that really matter, is it wise? No, it's not wrong. But is it wise? Paul, in his his letter to the church in Ephesus, he said this. He said, be very careful. Be very, very, very careful how you live. Another phrase for that would be how you walk. How you walk. Be watch sweet. Any of y'all got a backyard and a big dog and you go out in the backyard and you watch (laughs) where you walk? It's wise. Right? Because you got new shoes and you don't. Paul's saying in, in this life, be wise. Just watch where you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because these days are what? Evil. Sin is rampant and alive. The devil hates you. He hates your marriage. He hates your kids. He hates that you are singing this morning that praise the one who you know, overcame, who died for me. Who, he can't stand that. So he wants to be able to take it away from you. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. I had an epiphany while I was writing the sermon and I want to break it down to you, and I want you to see how true this is. Most of the time, the problem and the struggle we have with examination of our walls and these kind of things is because we feel like examination is the same as condemnation. If somebody tells us we're not doing it right, we take it personal. Oh, I guess I'm not perfect. No, well, hold on. I never even said you were perfect. When Darla and I first got married, first probably five years of our marriage, maybe 10, let's be honest. Um, I would would be less than a perfect husband, right? I would make mistakes and do things. And here's what she would do. She would meet me somewhere, you know, in a hallway or whatever. And here were her words. She would say, we need to talk. We need to talk. Four words, cardiac arrest. (laughs) And it never failed because every time she said it, if you would have grabbed me before she said it and said, hey, how's your marriage doing? I would have said, man, I am acing this thing. And then she walked and said, we need to talk. And then we would begin to talk and she would show me some areas where I wasn't, you know, hitting the target necessarily. And for the first probably 10 years of our marriage, that offended me. I, every time she said it, I got mad. Well, who you think you are? Let me tell you what you ain't doing right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because, again, we've kind of been taught that self-examination must be self-condemnation. And how silly is that? to get to a point where we will actually avoid ever critiquing anything or talking and examining anything because we don't want to admit that maybe we're not perfect. If anything, God's grace should, want, should make us want to examine things because I understand that no matter how bad I'm doing, God's grace will help me do it better. But we've been taught that the second somebody starts pointing out an area that we're not doing great at, oh, okay, forget it then. I don't even want to do it anymore. It's like, hold on. Chill out. What if? And this is, what, this is the revelation I had. And now I'm, like, I'm always going to dartle. like, when you talk about anything? When you talk about? Something about 2023, man. I'm bringing out some characters this year. Um, that's why you need to keep coming to church. You never know who's going to come next week. But, but I, I kind of started to realize that it's not condemnation. It, it's help. It's, it's discussion and growth and maturity so that I can continue being a good husband and work on being an even better one. So now I start to want it, right? Right? When, when it's approached with grace and I understand that, hey, I'm never going to be a perfect husband, but through the power of God, I can be forgiven for my mistakes and I can start making improvements and be better. I start to want correction. I start to want examination, Instead of being like, well, if you say something isn't right, then I must be a failure. No. What if the reason is, is because life is hard and sin is real and you have to constantly be looking because the Bible said that the enemy is like a roaring lion who goes back and forth just waiting to pounce. I don't know about you, but if if we were in here and I heard that there was a roaring lion on the outside of that door going back and forth, ready to pounce, and yet Dana was outside with his gun and his cane and his amazing beard, I would call him (laughs) and I would say, hey, brother, real quick, what do I need to do? (laughs) Well, you know, here's what you need to do. No, don't talk to me about what I need to do. (laughs) It's like, wait a minute. What are you talking about? I'm trying to save your life. I don't want to hear it. I'm fine. I would call him like, man, help a brother out. Where every married man should be talking to other married men, going, help a brother out. Mm -hmm. Every married woman, every woman that's getting married or man that's getting married, should be talking to other men and women who are already married, saying, help me out. Why has the enemy succeeded in causing us to be so insecure that we won't even talk to each other about our problems? And God said, i built the church so you can walk in the door, take off this face of all the fake stuff that you have, look at your brother and sister and go, I need some help. Yes. Help me put up some boundaries. Help me put up some walls. I had a friend that they, they used to go to Victory, and they moved for his job. And he called me one day. I hadn't heard from him in a couple weeks or a couple months, actually. He called me. He said, man, I need your help. So what happened? He said, I've become addicted to porn, and I need your help. I said, man, how can I help you? We're... we're for 15 hours away from each other. He said, I'm gonna set up an accountability system It's gonna email you and let you know if I look at something. I said, good, put me on there, let me know. That's the kind of relationship I'm talking about. You know what I mean? That's, that's the point of this. That's the point of this. If you ever walk in here and go, I can't be honest about who I am because I might be judged, that's not the right picture. The right picture is I need to be honest about what I'm struggling with so that my brother and sister can hold my hands up and help me while I'm going through it so that they can be accountability to me and help me while I'm going through it. Here's, here's, here's what I think is the probably the biggest mistake we make. I'll be strong enough. I'll just have faith. Stop it. I got a friend in Memphis, everywhere we go, he leaves his car unlocked. I told him, I said, you're crazy. He lives in Miami now. I said, I said you're crazy. He goes, I have faith. I said, there's a difference in faith and being foolish. You know what I mean? We, we hid behind this faith thing for way too long. Like, there's a difference. Sometimes I think God's even like, are you for real? Like, you're going to fast but go stand in front of a buffet? Does that make any sense? You know what I mean? Like, like have faith. We need faith. But don't be foolish. I'll give you an example. Uh, a couple summers ago, Darla and I get ready to take our kids to kind of our, our, our yearly trip together. Um, and we take them to Santa Claus, Indiana, all right? Don't judge us as parents, okay? We can't all take them to Disney. We are taking them to Santa Claus, Indiana, Disney, the Dollar General of Disney, okay? Um, It's it's a park called Holiday World. We've never been before. And so we're going through all these different rides. Casey Ray, I I think maybe five or six at the time, I'm not really sure. But but if if you've seen Casey Ray, she's really little. Like, she's super skinny. You know, she's, she's really little. But she's like my daredevil. Like, she's a ninja class. She's riding motorbikes. Like, she's like, let's go take on the world, you know? And so we get to this theme park, and we're doing all these different things, and we get to this one roller coaster, and we're all going to ride it, all four of us, my Veda, my oldest, me, Darla, K-Stra. And we're standing in the line. As we're going through the line, we're watching the roller coaster. You know how you can see some of it? And there's something happening in my spirit. Now, for those of you that are new to the Lord, uh, I believe that the Holy Spirit warns you of stuff. Sometimes we think it's conscious, or we think it's something in our tummy. I think it's the Holy Spirit saying, you shouldn't do that. But we often go, I'm not, maybe I didn't eat this morning, and maybe that's what it is. And then we get on it and find out, oh, it was the Holy Spirit. Um, so we're going through this line. And, and about midway line, the only intelligent human being in my family, Veda, says, I'm not doing this. Like, that's why you're going to be a doctor when you grow up. Like, you're the smart one. So we keep going to the line. Darla and I and Casey Ray are like, yeah, let's do, let's do it. And I start to get that feeling. So now I'm trying to talk Casey Ray out of writing it. I'm like, ah, you don't really want to ride this, right? Like, oh, come on. We can go get a pretzel, seven pretzels, like whatever. Like, you don't want to ride this. She's like, no, I want to ride it. I want to ride it. We're getting closer and closer. And I'm looking around, and because here was my thought. Let me see other kids like her, and that will be affirmation to me that she's supposed to ride this ride. I'm looking around, nobody, okay? There's kids her age, but they're taller and they're bigger. and I'm like, just like there's nobody her size. So I'm freaking out. But I, I, because I'm not perfect, I didn't do what the word says. I didn't talk to my wife, okay? I just kept that inside. And we get up and we get on the ride and they put uh, Darla and Casey in this little cart and they put me in the cart behind them. And the second, we had never ridden this ride before. I know you're hearing this story going, you are stupid. I told you 10 minutes ago in this sermon that I am stupid. All right. I already gave this to you. So we're in the ride and the ride, it's one of those rides that the second it starts, it shoots off. You know what I mean? And immediately I was praying in tongues. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) I mean, I'm just like, ah, you know, my face is, I'm watching Casey's body slide like a pinball, cross, cross. And she's right in front of me. And I'm like, Darla, grab her. And she's like, I got her. And I'm like, (laughs) Hold her tighter. And she's like, I've got her. And this is a whole ride. And I am praying, ask her, dead honest truth. The entire ride I prayed. Oh God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, God. I know you tried to tell me. You tried to tell me there was nobody in that line the size of Casey Ray. I am so sorry. I know she she was measured right, but she was measured by the world. She wasn't measured by the Holy Spirit. I'm so sorry. Don't ever get me off this ride. I must have said this 10 times. If you will just. Get her off this ride. I will never make this mistake again. She got off that ride, y'all. Her face was priceless. I had aged 20 years. Remember how Brian started off this whole beautiful day talking about how I was young in 2018 and how old I look now? I blame two people. Two groups of people, my children and you. (laughs) I was like, babe, never again. I feel like sometimes this is where we are. Instead of putting up warnings, now we're screaming, God, help us, as everything around us is falling apart. I should have put them boundaries up, God. But now I'm so deep in it, I'm just panicking. Just hands in the air, God help me. And God is faithful to do so, and I'm going to show you this. But can we listen to the Holy Spirit for a moment? And when he tells us to put up boundaries so that we will not be screaming at the top of our lungs, God help me, if you ever get me off this, I will never Because when we set up boundaries, they help prevent problems before it's too late. And I've said all of this to encourage you, hopefully, to have discussions and conversations over lunch and this evening to ask, where are our walls weak? Mm -hmm. My wife is the absolute best at monitoring, monitoring my kids' lives. She's constantly asking questions. Let me see your phone. Let me... So good. You need to have those conversations. You need to talk to your kids. You need to talk to your spouse. You need to talk to yourself and ask yourself, where, where are the walls weak? Where, where have we let some boundaries fall down? And I, I believe God is so good that he would put a message like this in my heart to tell you now before it's too late. That's how much I think he loves you. You weren't even coming to church today. You woke up and your windshield was iced because it's cold outside and you were like, mm, "I'll watch him online." <laughs> but you got here because the spirit of God brought you here because he wanted you to hear this because he loves you. He loves your marriage, he loves your children, he loves where you are in your career. He loves where you are financially. He loves where you are in his relationship with him and he wants those blessings to continue. And here's the big, he wants you to embrace and encounter his promises but he wants you to be able to know how to protect them. So, okay, real quick, how do we do it? How do we do it? You do it through two ways, praying and planning. Pray and plan, pray and plan. Let me show you real quick. I got to hurry up. Nehemiah chapter two, watch this. After he prayed and he told the king what he wanted to do and the king said, you can go, watch this. I also said to him, Nehemiah's got to come back. Here we go. By the way, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Tran-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? Can you give me letters so that when people try to stop me on the way to build the walls, I can say, no, I'm doing this as uh, 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 approval from the king? Also, watch this, and may I have a letter to ask a keeper of the royal park, so he will give me lumber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy? Not only can you give me letters so that if I get stopped, I can get by. Can you also give me the resource I need to do it? And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted all my requests. So I went to the governors of Tran Euphrates and I gave them the king's letters. Watch this. The king also sent army officers in Calvary with me. I would be a fool if all I told you out of Nehemiah chapter 2 is that Nehemiah prayed. He did pray. He prayed a lot. But it looks like he had a plan. And it's important for us to both pray and plan. Some of us pray a lot, but don't plan. Some of us plan a lot, but we don't pray. And we got to be able to learn to put them together. So so here's the pattern I'm going to give you. This is the pattern in Nehemiah 2. I'm going to give it to you. Ready? Number one, pray first. Hopefully you've been participating in 21 days of prayer and fasting, so you've been praying. If not, start today. Start praying. Pray first. Watch this. Then put together a plan. We're we're going to pray in a minute at the end of this message. We're going to pray. And then right here in these chairs or in your car or in the lobby or at the restaurant, talk to your wife, talk to your husband, talk to your kids, talk to your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your parents, your family, your friends, whatever. And let's talk through a plan. Where are the walls weak? Where do we need to put up boundaries and protections? Watch this. And once you come up with the plan, pray about the plan. Don't just run with it. Like God, okay, we got a plan. God, is this the plan you want? And then watch God provide as you execute the plan. Nehemiah said, because of God, he was given all those resources. God's gonna bless your plan. Pray, make a plan, pray about the plan, and then watch God provide what you need for that plan to work. Here's what I call it I call it. When your goals meet God's grace. I got goals. I want a healthy marriage. So I'm going to work really hard. Time out. You need to pray. Then you need to plan. Then you need to pray again. Then you need to let God execute. You need to take your goals. You need to put them with God's grace. Here's my goal for my kid. Put it with God's grace. Here's my goal for my career. Put it with God's grace. Here's my goal for my finances. Put it with God's. We all need a plan. Listen to me. I am. I would love to sit down with you and help you with your plan. Thursday night we had a married couple in our house on the couch talking through a plan. I would love to sit down with you and go through a plan for your finances, a plan for your kids. I'm meeting with people all the time going through a plan. i love We're trying our best as a church. To give you plans. If you're married or you're in a relationship and think you might get married, here's a plan for you. The marriage conference. There's a plan for you. If you're struggling with finances, we have a finance class. That's a plan for you. Tithing, there's a plan for you. If you're wanting to grow spiritually, you need to make some changes in your life. Small groups, discipleship, getting on a dream team. There's some plans The church itself has plans for you. And then Darla and I and other leaders in the church, we're willing to get with you and help you even more with plans. But listen to me. Please listen to me. Don't do one without the other. Pray and plan. Plan and pray. Does it make sense? Then I was reading ahead. I'm so excited about the next couple weeks. I got some pretty cool stuff happening in the book of Nehemiah. I was reading ahead in Nehemiah chapter 4. Which is the birthday weekend. And I read this in verse two. Watch this. What are those feeble Jews doing? They think they're going to rescue their wall. What are they going to do? Offer sacrifice? Think they're going to finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? I started reading that in every different version message, paraphrase, living Bible, New King James. I wanted. To hear doubt in every kind of language. I wanted to hear what you hear when you say we're going to rebuild something. You think you're going to rebuild that marriage after all it's been through? You think you can save your kid now? You think you're going to be able to do something with those finances? Come on, it, it, it's in the family, right? Your parents and their parents, And this is what we hear nonstop. There's just no way. There's no way. And yet I was standing right there by my mom when Kristen got up here and literally took us to the throne room of God saying this was something that everybody told me wouldn't happen, and I watched God do it. So then this morning I was praying, and I was like, God, I I know what happens as the book of Nehemiah goes. If you haven't read it, spoiler alert, he builds the wall and I knew that and I said but you know what I need a response for chapter 4 verse 2 and I, did, I didn't give the media team the reference so I'm sorry but go read chapter 4 and you'll see this um, it kind of goes through the, there's all this opposition and hardship back, and, and it gets to this point where Nehemiah speaks to them and they're talking about what everybody's saying you want, they say we won't be able to rebuild the wall they say there's nothing we can do da, da, da. and Nehemiah says this Our God will fight for us. He's the same God yesterday, today, and what? Forever. Which means if he fought for them, he'll fight for you. Everybody stand with me real quick. Whatever it is. I'm going to try to talk real quick to each section of the room. Everybody look at me eyes to eyes whatever it is that God is calling you to rebuild this year I understand that the world has told you everything that the opposition in Nehemiah 4 said it's not going to happen how could it happen it hasn't happened before, it won't happen now it's broken, it can never be rebuilt I'm telling you prophetically what the word of the Lord says your God will fight for you look at me Eyes to eyes, I can see y'all a little bit better. (laughs) Look at me. Whatever it is, whatever it is, doesn't matter how many people have told you it won't happen, doesn't matter how many people give you excuses and reasons, look what happened here, look what happened here, look what happened here, it doesn't matter. God is the author and the finisher of our faith. So I'm preaching to you what Nehemiah said and what I believe is prophetically for you in whatever it is that you're rebuilding, for every marriage, for every child, for every career, for every dream, God will fight for you. He'll fight for you. He'll fight for your marriage. He'll fight for your kids. He'll fight for your dreams. He'll fight for your calling. He'll fight for your deliverance, for your restoration, because God is good. His grace, your goals. Listen to me, church. Now's not the time. Now's not the time to retreat from what God's calling us to rebuild. Now's the time to get a hammer, to get some nails, start putting together some walls, start blocking some stuff and believe that if I've got a hammer in one hand, God's got a hammer in the other. If I'm rebuilding it, God's rebuilding it. Don't you let the world tell you, you're weird. I don't care. Call me what you want to call me. But God promised me a healthy marriage. God promised my kids that they would not fall away from their faith. God promised me my dream. God promised me my healing. God promised me my deliverance. And I will move forward until I get that promise. Until I get it. God fights with us. But don't call it faith and be foolish. Close your eyes. Holy Spirit, I pray right now like only you could do. (sighs) preached your word. I've done my part. Oh, but they need you so much. They need your Holy Spirit. They need the uh, the ability to forgive. They need the ability to move forward despite what they've seen in their past. They need supernatural faith, supernatural strength, I pray for every marriage. I pray for every relationship. I pray for families, for children, for parents, for grandparents, for sicknesses, for diagnosis, for dreams that are just about on the edge of dying. For the individual that feels like no matter how hard they try, they never win who's overwhelmed with condemnation and guilt. Oh, Father, let there be freedom in this place. And to them, it's a mountain. But move right now in their hearts that they would walk out of here today and they would start putting together a plan. And they would pray and they would plan and they would pray And they would plan. And then they would pray for their plan. And then they would see your power and your Holy Spirit help them execute their plan. You're a mountain mover, God, but I don't think that we lack responsibility. So, God, let us figure it out. What are you calling us to do? Burden our hearts? Nehemiah was burdened by this. I pray for burdens on the hearts of your children this morning. But then we would stand confident in knowing that it's not in our power, but it's in your power. That it's not in our ability, but in your ability. That you would supernaturally give us a plan, and then you would supernaturally provide for that plan. I want to make a declaration this morning as we close. We're going to go into that little bridge of do it again. talks about moving mountains. And I want you to sing and pray for a moment. And I want you to pray and sing about whatever that situation is that you're thinking of. It's been in your head since the moment we started. You're in here and you're addicted to something that you can't seem to shake. You're in a broken relationship. There's a sickness that's been staring you in the face. You want to rebuild health. You want to rebuild a relationship. You want to rebuild your pursuit of God. But you're seeing this mountain in the way right now. Whatever it is fear, doubt, insecurity, inability. It's not your strength, it's God's strength. So, what we're going to do is we're going to start right now by praying through worship, and then we're going to walk out of here and make a plan. So, make this declaration, Father. Father, we come to you right now that you are a mountain mover. And as we begin to worship and as hands go up in the air, I pray that there would be this sense of security in their hearts. Revelation that you are big enough and that if you've done it once, you'll do it again. If you open wombs in the Bible, you'll do it again. If you healed marriages in the Bible, you'll do it again. If you healed sicknesses in the Bible, you'll do it again. If you called insignificant people with lacking in ability in the Bible, you'll do it again. Hallelujah, Father. Come on, begin to pray just in your own way. Just begin to lift up whatever that situation is to God that you need his help with. Hallelujah, Father. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus.